My name is Jenny Brett. I am a PhD student at the University of Texas in San Antonio. I am studying cultural anthropology and my research thesis is on volunteers and care networks and specifically on material agency and material goods and how those material goods in this particular mission create and reinforce networks of care. In today's episode, we will hear from a PhD student named Jenny, someone Steve and Sharon strongly encouraged me to get to know. So let's all get to know her together. Steve, can you do the honor of introducing Jenny to us? Sure. Uh, this is Jenny Brett. Uh, Jenny is a doctoral student with the University of Texas at San Antonio. Jenny reached out to us last year and asked if she could come up here for a couple of years during the summer to do research for her project. And we said, sure, come on up. Mm -hmm. So um, she was here for June, July last year. And now this is her second year. Uh, once again, starting with us, she's kind of a um, jack of all trades, master of everything. Uh, when she's up here, she's tremendous in helping us with our cruise ship ministry and with our overall volunteer research. And that's the focus of her um, thesis is um, what a nonprofit slash religious organization needs in terms of materials to accomplish what they need to accomplish. So that's what we're all about between Christmas ditty bags and our seafarers center and um, all things that seafarers needs that it ties in right with what she's doing. So we've loved having her for the past couple of summers. So um, I introduce to you Jenny Brett from Texas. But originally from New England, we got to throw that in there. She's a New Englander through and through. Thank you, Steve. And good to meet you, Jenny. And could you also tell us a bit more about yourself? Yeah. So um, like Steve said, my name is Jenny. Um, I am originally from New England. I was born and raised here. And then I left when I was 18 to join the Navy, um, which is how I became interested in seafarers ministry. Um, I was in the Navy for 20 years. I retired from the Navy out of Yokosuka, Japan. So I spent a lot of time um, around the Pacific not so much the Atlantic. Um, and while I was on board ships, I visited a lot of different um, seafarer centers and um, organizations similar to NESM. Um, and then after my retirement, I went back to college and I got my degree in anthropology, women and gender studies and linguistics. And I joined a PhD program. And so my research is in care work and how volunteers care for people. Specifically at NESM, I'm interested in why volunteers that are not affiliated with a seafarers ministry or um, have been seafarers themselves or mariners themselves would be interested in caring for strangers they don't know or a ministry like this one. Um, I'm also interested in specifically why um, seafarer ministries seem to always, or seafarer centers seem to always be religiously affiliated. I am personally not religiously affiliated, so it has always fascinated me. Um, and then, like Steve mentioned, I'm also interested in the material agency of the goods in and around a seafarer center. Steve has a lot of relationships with folks in our community um, who really facilitate his ability to care for seafarers, um, even I think sometimes, even though he doesn't necessarily realize 
the major impact that these goods have. So I'd really like to to dive deep into the the goods themselves. Um, the people really speak for themselves. They're just wonderful humans, but the the goods don't speak for themselves, and so they really need someone who's kind of trained to to investigate what goods do. So that's what I'm here for. Your PhD in care work and material agency of the goods seem very particular and intriguing. How did you get into it? When I enrolled in my PhD program, this was not my topic. Um, I actually was working in veteran identity and how veterans um, basically become veterans, the becoming of a veteran from a military person. Um, but that work proved to be too difficult to me and too close to home. Um, but I knew I needed to kind of stick with something that I was familiar with and something that I was passionate about. Um, and seafarers are very much that. Um, and I visited quite a few seafarer centers as a young sailor and was always interested in sort of what they did and why they did it. Um, they're different everywhere in the world. In the United States, um, they tend to be, um, they don't have bars, put it that way. Um, but overseas, a lot of times they're, they're more of a community space and there's, there's bars and pubs and restaurants and, um, but there's always just a little something to let you know that it's a religious organization. And I was always fascinated by the juxtaposition of some of these spaces with, um, you know, caring for people who are not of the faith that the organization was. Um, and yeah, there's just a lot of reasons that they're just interesting places to be in. And I think, um, and I, I knew as someone who has seen them in other places in the world that most people don't ever get to see them and don't know that they exist. So I really wanted to um, ah, showcase them is the wrong word. I really wanted to write about them in such a way that um, the people who are not affiliated with the maritime industry or with ministry um, would be able to experience what happens in places like this and understand that they exist and they um, they need to exist and continue to exist. Um, did I hear you right that seafarer centers in other parts of the world have better community spaces than in America? Yeah, they're they're more like community spaces, I think, than than they are in the United States. And what I mean by that is they're um, they're more like pubs or um, sort of hangout spaces, um, I think. Than than they and I have a very limited um, impression of seafarer centers in the United States. I've only been to a few, but all of them I've been to have been more about ministry than about community. And I feel like in other places, they are more about just providing a community space for fellowship. Yeah, and I've noticed in, um, Dan, I've noticed in, in Europe, at least, I'm not familiar with too much with um, Pacific Rim, but in Europe, a lot of the seafarer centers are state-sponsored or partially state-sponsored. So the the finances of pure square footage is not so much of a, of a hurdle for them. So they can expand and include um, the, the the beverages, the, the beer and wine, the pool tables. And I think that brings that kind of community uh, sense that Jenny's talking about. Um, I wish that I had that kind of space here, uh, square footage wise, but we can't. So our, our, our mantra is if 
you only get so many square feet. And if you're not earn, earning your rent, that is the things that we're talking about, the stuff on our shelves, the packages, the money. If it's not being utilized, then we need to find something that is because the, the actual physical space is at such a premium that it requires that. But yeah, I've seen European seafarer centers. They're beautiful locations. And I've seen seafarers in there just doing what Jenny said, just kind of hanging out and relaxing and letting them have that moment off the ship that is so important to their mental and spiritual and physical well-being. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. So then do seafarers who are much more used to the European community spaces get discouraged when they come to the U.S. centers? Well, I think it's that. And also, one of the things that I don't, we didn't really address is that um, things have changed pretty rapidly in the last 15, 10 to 15 years, as far as um, how quickly ships are offloaded and unloaded. Um, I know Steve has said before in the podcast that the maritime industry is not paying for anything that isn't movement of the ship. And so um, it behooves them when they get to a port to, to get faster and get people in and out quickly. Um, and so even 20 years ago, ships were just in port for a much longer period of time. And so people had the leisure time to, to spend in places like that. And um, now they really don't. Ships can be in a port for six hours and on, offload an entire, you know, class three tanker, um, whereas that wouldn't have happened only a short time ago. So I've, I've heard crew members, I don't know if disappointment would be the word, just different. They'll ask me, where's the seafarer center? And I'll point like when I'm on the cargo ship over at Conley, which is right across the channel from us. And they'll say, Oh, there's a seafarer center. Where is it? And I'll point to it over there. But to avoid what would be disappointment if they made an investment in time and walking or whatever come over. I said, it's a seafarer center for cruise ships. And a light goes off in their head because they know what that means in and out, not a place that you're going to find a place to, to sit. So I, you know, I tell them um, I don't have a pool tables and ping pong tables and, and I don't have a bar. We don't serve liquor. What we have is a mail room and a little crew market and a small place for them to sit. And typically at that point, they understand. So it's not disappointment. They just, they understand, they get it. And the next question is, okay, fine. Can you give us a ride downtown to maybe a restaurant? <laughs> So, and then I say, sure, happy to. And we take them downtown to get a little off ship relaxation. So, Jenny, uh, what brought you to NESM? I am from originally from New England. Um, I was born and raised not far from here. And so, when it came time to do my research, um, I wanted to A, get out of Texas because it is hot there in the summertime. And I was like, let me go home. Um, my family is also here. So, I, I do spend a lot of time with my family when I'm not with Steve and Sharon, although they've really become like family. Um, but really, I have to say, honestly, it's just because Steve answered my email first. Um, I emailed I emailed the other organization in Boston, the one that does the North Shore. Um, she didn't email me back and Steve, instant reply and happy to have me. And then um, I just came out. And it's been really good for me to um, interact with Jenny because because of her interest in that all sorts of other things but one of her interests was that material resource I think we're calling you know I'm so I'm a pastor here's the center I set it up um, our focus is the seafarer and volunteers come in and help us run it so those were kind of my focus the human being portion of it right the material resource that 
stocking the shelves, the packages, the, the ditty bags, the hats. It, it wasn't in the same category in my mind. Um, I mean, I knew we, it was just something to do. All right, we got to get this stuff. But I never understood it as a component, as a partner with the volunteers and with us, shall we say, just making sure that that I understood that answered a question for me uh, that a, a Polish captain said to me uh, a long time ago. I brought Christmas gift bags on board a ship. Uh, he had a bulk um, ship, which was it was full of road salt. And I went up to the captain's quarters. I told him we I, I brought some Christmas gift bags for the crew, 24, um, just because it was, you know, that's what we do at the Christmas time. And he was effusive in his thanksgiving and gratitude to the point where and it was early on in my career i was almost embarrassed like well captain they're just very small bags i don't i don't want you to get the wrong idea and he said and i tell many churches and many people who listen the same story over and over again he said no 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 chaplain you don't understand that bag is small but what's inside is huge and when jenny starts talking about material resource that is exactly what that captain was talking about that yeah, sure, that thing is not physically big, but it is spiritually and emotionally and mentally relevant, more than relevant, important for them to understand. It gives them a connection back into society and back to some memories, back to home, and makes them feel human again. So I think that that she's been a tremendous help to me to help me fully kind of go full circle on that and get what that captain was talking about fully. And, and that we need to treat this stuff with, with care and with diligence. So anything you want to add, Jenny? Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the materials are really important. And I, when you walk around the mission, you realize just how much care and attention goes into finding, sourcing the right materials, sourcing the right things that people want. Um, if you go downstairs, there's, there's always, and I know right now it's, it's tuna because a, a crew member said, you know, I would like these little tuna meals. There's always at least one item every shopping trip that Sharon goes on that is specifically for one crew member who said, I I really would like to have this one thing. And um, so the things in the store are very important. And it's it's really a way, I think, for a lot of the crew members to, I know for me as a, a sailor, it was a way for me to regain sort of my humanity and become Jenny again, and not just, you know, sailor six, two, eight, three. Um, and I, but I think the, the thing that I find really, really interesting is the way that the material goods within the mission from like the, the books behind you, you're sitting in front of the library and there's books from everywhere. And those books, each one of those books was brought here by someone who read it, cared for it, and then left it here, hoping that the care that they had for it would transfer to another person. And so you can't see that person who donated it. You, you're not going to you know, interact with them necessarily. But when you have that physical object in your possession, that's like having their care with you personally. Um, and so Steve has a lot of material goods from other places that seem like something that has been discarded by someone else, maybe. Um, there's a lot of t-shirts and lanyards and things that, you know, were just extra from something else that people are like, oh, 
I know where these could go. These still have value. Um, and so because I'm a, a, an anthropologist and archaeologist, I, I work a lot in commodities and I work a lot in, in material agency, even in the, the material record going, going back years and years and, you know, into, into ancient times. Um, a lot of my colleagues are working in the Maya world right now in Guatemala and uh, Belize. But the material agency and, and the transfer of commodities hasn't changed at all. Um, in the contemporary world, a lot of times co commodities means something on the market and has market value. We don't talk enough about spiritual economy and spiritual commodities and what those things can provide to a person. So having a tangible object that reminds them that they are an individual who is worthy of love and worthy of care and someone loved you and cared enough about you to provide you this tangible item. And as someone on a ship without much room for stuff, having an item that you didn't need is really, really important sometimes. Wow, this is definitely something I have not thought much about at all. Still, I am super intrigued by the terms you have introduced to me, uh, spiritual economy and spiritual commodity. I am gaining a new perspective and respect for understanding how material goods play a role in affirming human dignity, reminding them and us uh, that we are uh, worthy of care and love and are not forgotten. Well, I want to break it up here and give ourselves a break to process and digest. I also apologize for the poor sound quality. One of the mics did not work properly. Well, this was my coffee break with Pork Chaplain Stephen Cushing and PhD candidate Jenny Brad. I am Dan Lee, your host. We will continue with part two in the next episode.